two artists walk into a bar. Now stop me if you've heard this one. Listen in as artists and creators talk over drinks about their work, life, and the creative journey. Welcome back to Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. I'm your host artist, Carol McQuaid. Our guest artist today is Scottish-born, Vancouver-based painter Jeff Wilson. He's on an amazing run doing public gallery shows, residencies, and the most interesting commission projects. But what he's best known for are his large and intimate paintings of Vancouver's downtown east side. They are a love letter to this complex part of the city where he lives and works. Our bar is Gastown's classic Irish Heather Pub. You'll find links to these things, along with full show notes on our website, twoartistswalkintoabar.com. If you like it and want to hear more episodes, subscribe, sign up for updates, and share it with an arty friend. And if you love the show, head to the website where you can click on the martini glass icon and buy us our next round. These donations actually offset the production costs, helping keep us ad-free. And some days, they actually turn into drinks. Now let's head to the Irish Heather and listen in as Jeff and I talk painting, production, and the realities of pursuing a professional painting career. Cheers. Jeff Wilson, Mm -hmm. here we are at the Irish Heather awesome bar. It's good to be but, back uh, yeah, again. Yeah. Yeah, this is fun. I think this is our third or fourth uh, third or fourth interview together. Four A. Yeah, that's Four right. Eh? Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. And I asked you to come partly because I just I always love your stories and also because you have so much interesting stuff going on all the time. Uh, I it can be it yeah, can be yeah. I. <laughs> <laughs> and because of the accent that's oh the I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it makes a boring person interesting <laughs> I'm gonna try it then yeah. in the privacy of my own home uh, so what are you working on right now what's happening in your studio so just now I've got four uh, projects on the go at the moment I've got a long-running commission from a mining company to illustrate the mining legacy of uh, Kino Hill in northern Yukon I've got uh, I'm working on a collection of paintings from uh, Saskatchewan, an art residence I did at the back end of last year there. I'm doing a collection of working boat paintings for exhibition later in the year. And then I'm sort of ongoing paintings of the downtown east side landscapes, which are on show just now and then later in the year again. Okay, cool. So lots of different subject yep. matter. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and a lot of that's a lot of painting to have going on at the same time. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, some of them are new, some of them are a hangover from, from last year. The downtown east side stuff's been exhibiting, you know, for like a year and a half now, but it continues to be popular. So as they sell, uh, I have to replace them and, and do larger versions. The boat thing, uh, I've done some boats over the years as part of other collections. But this is the first time they've done a standalone trawler boats, crab boats, uh, tugboats, the False Creek Ferry, um, the old uh, stern wheelers from the Kootenay Lake uh, and uh, and so forth in the interior, uh, plus others. That's showing in North Vancouver in the summer and then in a commercial gallery, uh, the Viridian Gallery in the, the fall. The Saskatchewan stuff, yeah, it's it's for exhibition next year. I'm just producing the collection. And then lastly, uh, oh yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, that's four. So a lot of paintings to do for various projects. Less exhibitions than last year, strangely enough, but more actual more actual paintings to, to, to be working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've been on a busy run of exhibitions. Mm-hmm. You, I saw a lot of public galleries yep. and things coming up for yep. you last year. Yep. 
So tell yep. me about your year last year, how you created that. It was, yeah, it was busy. Well, you know, you apply for public galleries a year in advance. So so most of these ones that were last year, that was like a year or two years ago that I applied for them. So, uh, you know, and that was mainly downtown east side. So I took them out to Alberta, to Okotoks in February, and that was uh, six weeks. That was a, a fun exhibit. It's a great, ex- a great venue, great people. Mm-hmm. Okotoks is a good little art enclave. Yeah, they um, they got a bung from the feds uh, or from the province and uh, upgraded their gallery, so they're turning it into kind of an afternoon destination from from Calgary. It's about an hour south of Calgary, and uh, and it's doubled in size from fifteen to thirty thousand in ten years. So they have, you know, they have subdivisions that only exist on 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 uh, highway signs. So it's real sort of boom town, but right in the foothills of the of the Rockies. And uh, they've managed to preserve parts of the downtown there, so they're turning it into a quainty, oldie-worldy, um, western-theme kind of a place, you know, which is, is real nice. And as part of that, they've put a, a chunk of money into their gallery. So it's it's quite a prestigious one. They, they paid uh, uh, Carfax fees for that. So I had that one. Then, following shortly on from that, I had a show in Caslow in the Kootenays, you know, for the for the handover, drove over with a minivan, narrowly avoiding, you know, the the, the horrible uh, spring snow showers that plague the passes. Picked them up, drove down Highway Three over Crowsnest Pass, you know, three day drive, dropped them off in Caslow. There again, that's a converted hotel from the. Silver Gold Rush shortly after the First World War, the Silvery Slocan, which was a mining town which then died and then got resurrected uh, during the Second World War as one of the internment locations for the Japanese Canadians. And I've got a thing coming up later this year uh, in relationship to that. So they had the show there. And here are the crab cakes. Oh, those are a thing of beauty. Salmon one. Do you want some? (laughs) No, I'm good. I'm good. So you're showing downtown Eastside paintings in a in a mining community. Well, it's a tourist thing now, right? Yeah. The curator, Arne Fay, she grew up in the in the hood, so she had a weakness for the downtown Eastside stuff. Yeah. So that was kind of fun. Very cool. So showed there, and again, a very nice gallery. Great local support from the local community. Um, Had a good time, and uh, so picked them up. Dropped them off in the Okanagan, and I had two shows in the Okanagan last year with another artist, Anne Wilsey. Oh, yeah. Who used to be in Sunshine Coast. She's now uh, tearing, up a, uh, tearing up in uh, in Lake Country mm-hmm. in the Okanagan. I had a show with her in Armstrong during the uh, the stampede there uh, last August, and then in the Peachland Art Gallery um, in, uh, in the fall, you know. Mm-hmm. So did that, you know, so that was good fun. Yeah. So when you are doing shows like that, you are applying for public galleries. Do you sit down and do a whole bunch of applications and then paint to the shows that you get? Or do you paint a body of work and then go shopping for a venue uh, for it? Normally, um, you'll have a, a collection partially completed mm-hmm. and then you'll apply mm-hmm. on a year ahead. And uh, they might, like, they might they like the look of, of the idea and you paint towards that. And just depending on on your luck and your sales, some you have to do a lot of painting for, some you don't have to do very much for. You know, the downtown east side, I've done most of it. But uh, in the case of the boat show, I'm, I'm having to really knock them out uh, quite quickly because because uh, it's coming up fast. And a lot of the ones I applied for 
had already sold. So you kind of pre-plan a year or so, mm-hmm. and uh, you paint these big multiple bodies of work, mm-hmm. and then as things are moving, you're sort of filling in those spots again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're busy. I, I know you to be a painter who is in his studio Monday to Friday, mm-hmm. nine to five. You're a very dedicated worker. It's a job, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I happen to enjoy doing it, but at the end of the day, uh, they don't paint themselves. So you have to you have to have a certain level of productivity. So you have to be you have to paint at a certain rate, and you have to spend time in the studio. And uh, so I paint nine to twelve, Monday to Friday. Uh, the afternoon I'll do admin applications, uh, working on whatever whatever that is. Most of the, the the real hardworking artists they'll tell you the same. Yeah. The inspiration is, is is there, you know, and it drives you. But you're in the studio, you're painting, you know, you're producing the work, and um, and that's just hard work, you know. And well, you enjoy doing it, but but you're you're in there, you have to put the hours in, you know, fast or slow. So nine to twelve, Monday to Friday works works out pretty well for me. And then the afternoon, uh, working on what I need, it might be picking up paintings, dropping them off. Talking to clients, uh, you know, doing billing, doing taxes, doing, um, uh, you know, applications um, and whatever, you know. So it, it, it's very, I'm, I'm very busy, but not necessarily in the studio all the time. And you talk to somebody like Brendan Tang, who's a very successful ceramics artist. He estimated that he's only in the studio for 30% of the time. The rest of it is is in the, is, is doing the business side. Yeah, in the hustle. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's been interesting doing this series of podcasts because we all approach it a little differently. Like I, you know, a lot of people are bingers mm-hmm. like me. Like mm-hmm. I tend to, you know, I'm, I go deep into printmaking for mm-hmm. two months. I'm painting for two months. Mm-hmm. I kind of go and do all my applications at once and you're always working, but, mm-hmm. but it's interesting to see how different people slice that pie up differently, you know, and it's, uh, yeah. there's something to be, something to be learned in everybody's method. For well, sure. we, I mean, I'm, I'm part of an artist uh, co-op and there's 20 of us in there, the portside artist studios, you know, some are, they have to get in there, they have to have a deadline, hard deadline, and then they just paint to that and they paint, you know, through the night or whatever. Others are much more systematic, uh, you know, planning well ahead. And I'm one of those and that's a hangover from uh, my former life in, you know, in, in the mining industry. And tell us about your former life and at what point you decided to make this hmm. segue. So all my education and experience has been in, in geology. Mm-hmm. So I did a PhD in geology and um, traveled around the world working in the mining industry. Mm-hmm. That was fun and I enjoyed it and industry was very kind to me. But the industry sort of went into a, a real tough time, you know, from 2011 to 2013. And, uh, you know, I was working for an engineering firm. Yeah, I, I got laid off September 2013. And at that point, I was already painting pretty seriously. I started in 2010, you know, as a, as a hobby. It got more and more serious. So September 2013 rolls around. Uh, there's really nobody hiring. I'm pretty specialised in what I did. And I thought, if not now, then when? So I just started painting full-time and uh, applying uh, for things. 
just just kept on going. So it's four and a half years at this point. Still, uh, still going. I've still got my geology license. Never say never. But if uh, if I can possibly uh, keep making a living from it, I'll keep I'll keep painting. Very cool. So you were painting as a hobby before that. When was that first moment where you thought, oh, this is something I want in my life, hobby or not? Was it right from childhood? No. No? No, I mean, um, uh, I painted, uh, I, mean, I did it in, in the start of high school. It was okay. I don't, it's not something I've done, uh, you know, through my life. I did a bit of watercolour painting, early 2000s. That was fine. Took a night class. Uh, got tired of going into galleries and seeing stuff on the wall for too much and then Lally goes well stop complaining about it and do something about it so I took a night class and did it sat in that for three years didn't really do anything and then you know turned 40 started a new job I thought well okay I better get started doing this and just just doing them on the side and um, because of the nature of that job that I had the it really um, I really enjoyed doing it as a uh, as a way to uh, take the pressure off the day job, which was very stressful. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when the job uh, when the job stopped, there was, you know, I wasn't really going to sit on my, my hands and do nothing, so I thought, well, I might as well paint. Yeah. So. And now that this is the day job, how do you take the pressure off? Um, I don't, uh, I don't feel a great deal of, uh, I get a great deal of stress in the way that I did, yeah. you know. It was a, re- it was like a, f- you know, eight to five Monday to Friday, dealing with a, a lot of very angry people a lot of the time, mm-hmm. and uh, the particular job I did involved giving a lot of people bad news, and uh, so it was a very, it was a very stressful job. I enjoyed it, you know, up to a point, and the people were good, but uh, but I don't I don't get stressed in the same way now with the. Uh, with the, with the painting, you know, so. And you mentioned Lalia very mm-hmm. briefly there, mm-hmm. and I know that she is a big part of your crea- your life, obviously, mm-hmm. but, but also your creative life. Tell me how it is planning and uh, working. And When I went full-time, she was really um, integral to uh, uh, helping with the applications and the business side, so she thought it would be a nice hobby, you know, and just for our listeners, Lalia is your wife. That's right. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she did a lot of the applications for me for the first couple of years, you know, and so she was an integral part of me getting to where I am now. Mm-hmm. She's now working, running a couple of charities, a couple of arts festivals, the Exploration Festival, which takes place next month. And then she runs the Heart of the City Festival in November, downtown said Arts Festival. So she's, um, she's uh, too busy doing other things now. You know, so I'm pretty much on my own. So my my career might go into a tailspin now. You know, <laughs> we hope closely. not, but we'll see. <laughs> but that kind of support is so important when you are doing something. Well, when you're doing anything for a living, but particularly, I think when we are self motivated, self employed, you get up every morning and decide what it is you do for a living. Mm-hmm. And having that other person uh, not distracting and being supportive is a huge sure. part of all our. She was looking for a. A new, career, a new career as well. We went on the run from our professional lives around about the same time. I think she was looking for something past the um, the healthcare. I was looking for something past mining. And it just happened at, it happened at the same time, yeah. the two of us. And what do you see being the, the next direction with it? I don't think there's a, 
particular direction. You just keep on painting. There's some points where you get a, a big jump. Most of the time it's little jumps. Or it might be rejections. It's a gradual increase in your reputation. I mean, the next big jump would be commercial representation. You know, full commercial representation. Wherever that is. But it hasn't happened yet and it may never happen. And are you out there swinging that bat? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I talk to I talk to galleries, but um, it's the the Vancouver scene is a very tough one to break into. I mean, I've got representation at the Van Dop Gallery, mm-hmm. and then um, there's pieces in Minbid in Edmonton, and then uh, the North Van Community Arts Council. But aside from that, it's just myself at the moment. Yeah, you know that, that that would be the next the next stage, but I'm continuing to apply for public galleries, and as time goes along, they become more and more prestigious. Mm-hmm. So you know, this next year, so 2019, 2020, hopefully I'll have uh, more shows in the prairies, and the Saskatchewan paintings will help with that. Hopefully, mm-hmm. I do a bit, a few more boats and coastal pieces for some of the commercial galleries here. You have been super focused on this I've loved watching your paintings over the last three or four years that I've been aware of your work and they are beautiful they're big they're big and intimate at mm-hmm. the same time mm-hmm. and what do you see being the biggest changes that your work has undergone over the years oh it's size and scale when I first started in 2010 just painting on a side it was eight by ten inch paintings that was big mm-hmm. then 2011 2012. 18 by 24 was kind of the maximum size. Mm-hmm. 2013, it was, um, you know, 30 by 40 inch. Then, you know, by 2014, 2015, it was 6 by 4. So I find that I'm painting faster and bigger and have more inclination to paint bigger pieces, you know, but they are harder to shift. So it goes alongside increasing your reputation. You know, people... Who are, who are more serious about collecting are, are more likely to look at your work. They've got bigger spaces. They can afford, you know, to, to buy larger ones. And getting commercial representation is a big part of that because they're dealing with people who have the kind of space to put a big piece up. And uh, when you were a kid growing up, mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about your life before you came to Canada. What kind of role art played in it or what you thought you would, where you thought you would be? Well... A big part and a no part. You know, I grew up in, in Edinburgh and uh, in Scotland. I was always interested in science as a kid, and that was uh, very much it. But at the same time, I was growing up, my dad jacked in his job as a machinist, a turner, and uh, went to art college. You know, my mum had already jacked in her job and gone and done philosophy mm-hmm. at uh, Edinburgh University. At what kind of points in their lives are they doing this? In their 50s. Mm-hmm. You know, my mum sort of led the way. She uh, did her high school diploma at uh, New Battle Abbey College, which is a local college outside Edinburgh, um, and then got a got entry to Emory University, did philosophy at Emory University. And then my dad, uh, jacked in his job, he applied for Edinburgh Art College. From a portfolio based on art salons over the years with a Latvian wood sculptor, Siegfried Sapietis, who's now uh, passed. I started, my mum graduated university the same year I finished high school. I started university doing geology at Glasgow. My dad started art college um, a year after me. And then my mum did a master's. So at one point, for one year, we were all students at different institutions. 
So I had that example of my dad becoming an artist while I was an adult. So it was always there kind of as a, as a possibility, you know. And did he meet some success? Yeah, I mean, he's, um, he came out of that. He did a one-year residence at uh, Harriet Watt University, did a nine-ton block of limestone into some breaching whales. Oh, wow. Some other uh, pieces of public art, and then was a, this a technician at the Edinburgh Sculpture Workshop for many years, which is a, an institution in, in Edinburgh. And was it just the three of you? Mm-hmm. So you grew up with this model of career reinvention, and mm-hmm. yeah, very cool. Yeah, so in, to a certain extent, I'm just recreating my dad's life. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and how is it? Are you loving what you've stumbled onto? Does this feel like the perfect fit? I don't know yet. I mean, um, I don't think an art. I don't think most artists really do. No, I mean, some will say, "Oh, yeah, this is my life." I think maybe if I'd started when I was twenty, I wouldn't know any better. Yeah. But when you're starting later on, you know what else is out there. So I don't think you you have that same kind of connection. I feel I feel much more comfortable doing this than I did. I have more confidence in my artwork than I ever did in geology, despite having done all that college. So it's uh, it's strange. I always felt that I could do it if I really wanted to, without any kind of rational basis. Mm-hmm. So it was... Um, Seems to be working out. Yeah, it's w- working out so far. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it's just one, it's one brushstroke at a time, one picture at a time, one collection at a time, one exhibition at a time. You never really know what the, the future holds, and maybe... It continues to grow uh, and you become a, a much more established name or maybe it just stalls and you have to go get a, a day job. You know, I mean, there's lots of people who've come through college and they've tried to make a go of it and, you know, they call themselves artists, but they are really doing something else. I'm, I'm very lucky in that I've been able to make a living from painting paintings and selling them. Most people don't have that have that luxury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's an amazing feeling to be able to direct your own direct your own life like that. The Saskatchewan series you have is from a residency. Mm-hmm. Have you done many residencies? Is that a big part of your practice? This one was the third. Mm-hmm. But if you look at a resume of a of a well known artist, it's kind of part of their professional practice. Mm-hmm. So, in trying to establish my professional credentials in the absence of a classical. Uh, BFA, public exhibitions and residencies and professional designations are all things that you can do. So I did one in Shetland and did a, did a collection off the back of that that showed in Maple Ridge, uh, Gibson's, uh, elsewhere. I did a little one in um, Glacier National Park in 2016, which was kind of fun. That was 12 artists all doing things. Uh, you can send up three paintings to a group show which then toured Western Canada as part of Canada 150 last year. Mm-hmm. And then this one in Saskatchewan was the, the last one. It's um, a useful thing to do insofar as it, uh, if you're looking for new ideas, new subjects, it's a way to expose you to an entirely new landscape, culture, etc., climate. And in the case of this one, I wanted to do something in the prairies I was watching a telly program, Canada Over the Edge on the Knowledge Network. It was just flying along the south end, of, south edge of Saskatchewan, and this town East End came up, and they were talking about Scotty the T-Rex and various bits and pieces in the history in that part of Saskatchewan. And I thought, oh, that would be real fun 
to go there. So we looked up on the internet and this residence uh, turned up. It's the, the Wallace Degner House, which is uh, the childhood home of Wallace Degner, the Pulitzer Prize winning author. Um, spent his childhood there um, and wrote a book about it, um, Wolf Willow, which many Canadians have, have read. So I spent a couple of weeks there in his childhood home, which is now this this uh, residence. Drove around in the snow for a couple of weeks, uh, you know, uh, took a lot of photographs of the landscape, uh, people, wildlife, um, the history. It's just an incredible place to work in. The Many of the things that we call the West, the Canadian West, the US West and the Canadian West, happened in and around the Cypress Hills, which is where this was whether it's the, the Hudson's Bay Company, the, um, the, the Whiskey Traders, the Cypress Hills Massacre, the formation of the Northwest Mounted Police, the Great Trek, Westward, the Boundary Commission, the, um, the Homesteaders, the, the Canadian Pacific Railroad, the Prohibition, uh, the, the Dust Bowl, um, on it goes from that, that all happened right there. And because it's really on the road to nowhere, it has this incredible sense of place, sense of history, Houses and buildings which have been sitting there derelict for maybe 10, 20, 50 years. Towns that may or may not be there anymore. Old tractors. Wagon wheels from who knows when. Model T Fords. And then incredible sense of continuity of people. You have people whose parents and grandparents were the original homesteaders. You have the First Nations who've been there since you know, uh, since the last ice age. You know, so it's a... Uh, and then recent incomers such as, you know, people from, from Southeast Asia who are, you know, running the restaurants and hotels. You've got the oil and gas workers who, who come in because, of course, it's had an oil and gas boom in the Shonovan oil and gas play. So you got more of a Canadian education in a two-week residency there than we get in 12 years of school <laughs> in a lifetime <laughs> I think you, if you, if you want to find it, you can find it. You know. And how did it? Were you you were touring, painting, or touring, photoing, getting references, sort of absorbing the environment, and then were you actually hunkered down painting for two weeks right there? No. What normally with an art residence, it, it it's entirely based on your practice. But in, in my case, I base it around how I used to do geology field work, and in a geological field season. For research, you might spend a month to six weeks. Mm-hmm. You might be whatever that is, the jungle or the desert or whatever. You spend six weeks gathering data. You know, in that case, it's drill cores, hand samples, geophysical samples, geochemical samples, geological mapping. In the case of an art residence, it's um, reading, observations, sketches, if that's what you do, um, studies of small pieces, uh, and then photography. Yeah. You know, and then just writing down you know, stories and uh, getting, you know, background documentation. And then, like a geological data set, you work from that data set over the next 12 months. So, in my case, uh, I got back and um, I have, you know, 15 to 20 paintings that I'll work up and then use that as a touring exhibition for public display. In the same way, uh, last summer, I was hired uh, Alexco Resources. It's a mining company in town here. They asked me to go up and record heritage aspects of the Kino Hill mining camp. 
They started mining there in 1917, finished in 1989. Uh, they have a ghost town, head frames, adits, um, spoil heaps, aerial tramways, old boilers, equipment, cats, all the rest of it, which have all got to be re- remediated. So I went up there, took a couple of thousand photographs, talked to various people, got documentation, and then I'm working those up to a series of paintings uh, depicting the this mining history in, in northern Yukon. And do they know of you first from your geology background and then as a painter? How did they find, like, what a perfect person to send up to do that job. How did they find you? I donate work to the Yukon Imagination Library auctions each year. And Yukon Imagination Library gives books to uh, every, every kid from birth until grade school every month to encourage childhood learning. It's a charity which was set up, set up in Tennessee by Dolly Parton. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's kind of spread out different places. And this is a Yukon version. I know the, the board there from my time in the mining industry, uh, Sue Craig. And so she asked me to donate pieces, mining-themed pieces. And they, they learn of my work through that. And so they know me as a painter. But because I've been, in, I've worked in a mining environment. When I was doing the field work up there, it's an active uh, development operation. So I think they were, they gave them some comfort that they could let me loose, you know, knowing the radio protocols for safety and so forth, to drive around without being worried that I'd get hit by a mine truck, you know, or a bear uh, eaten by a bear or whatever, because there's a lot of bears up there. Right. And the added bonus that your work is absolutely perfect for that kind of... A... It, suits, it suits their tastes. You know, you can see what you're looking at. Yeah. So you've done paintings to donate to that foundation. Mm-hmm. You've also donated work to, I think, the, hos- the hospital here in Vancouver. Do you do a lot of that kind of thing? Yeah, so I normally donate about a half dozen pieces, mm-hmm. maybe maybe six to ten pieces per year. And it might be to um, charities. And the main charities that I donate to the last year or so would be um, Yukon Imagination Library, the Arts Umbrella Splash uh, exhibition, which happens every September. Uh, Voting Reform, Fair Vote Canada. Um, BC Cerebral Palsy Association. The uh, Toronto Stock Exchange Annual Golf Tournament. uh, Various others. And then also to institutions such as... um, Vancouver General Hospital, um, BC Children's Hospital, Lionsgate Hospital, um, Union Gospel Mission, mm-hmm. and to various other, various other events and and institutions. You know. And, and what do you you you're doing that because you are a generous and amazing human? What kind of benefits come back the other way for you when you do that? Well, it's twofold, because. You like to be in the company to which you'd like to be associated with. Mm-hmm. So again, you look in the resume of an established artist, they will always note their corporate and uh, charitable donations or institutional collections. And, you know, you, you look at the real well-established gallery artists in town here, and they're all part of these big institutional collections like, um, uh, like VGH and uh, Lionsgate Children's. By donating to them, you have that reputational enhancement but on a more holistic level VGH for example will have social events from time to time where they bring the artists in and they have people talking about uh, what the, what it means and you have the you have the idea in a general sense that the patients are happy to have your paintings around in their time of need and that's you know there's a certain amount of that 
But on a, on a more day-to-day basis, a lot of the healthcare professionals who work there, they often have pretty tough working conditions. You know, they're dealing with a lot of, a lot of people who are uh, in, in a real hard way. Mm-hmm. And they've said that they like to have these paintings around them. You know, it takes them away from their, their day-to-day. And they become very attached to the paintings that are in their particular area. So they see a painting that's on the wall for six months or a year as their painting. Yeah. So they feel a, a very strong connection Mm-hmm. to the artwork in the way that the patients don't. And I hadn't really appreciated that until I heard it uh, from them firsthand. Yeah, and did you have an encounter with somebody who... Mm, not as such. One of the artists in um, my studio, Serena Haba, she is a pharmacist's assistant mm-hmm. at VGH. And so she says she sees them from time to time, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But no, the is, there's... People do tell me that they do meet people who've seen their work, but that hasn't, to me, that hasn't happened to me yet. Yeah. It's one of the privileges that you have when you are productive. You know, if you're, if you're knocking out 10 paintings a year, it's tough to, 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 to think about doing that kind of thing. Yeah. If you're knocking about 50 to 100 pieces a year, then you are able to, it gives you the largesse to be able to, uh, to do that. Yeah. And you just listening to that list of people that you've generously Mm. donated to, you do need to like that's for a lot of people that would be there, Mm -hmm. their year of production. Mm -hmm. When I come to your studio during the Eastside Culture Crawl or for other Mm -hmm. fun visits, Mm -hmm. you always have you have a lot of work on the go. You have work there and you always have work that's on its Mm -hmm. way out. Mm -hmm. You've got a You've got a good following, you've got a good group of collectors, and you are... I'm not really the person to, to judge, but um, what, uh, what, what stage I'm at, because I don't really have anybody to compare myself to. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I look around me, um, I'm a, a, a rapid painter, and mm-hmm. you know, you've just got to get out there and show it and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. And are you still finding time to get out and absorb other people's work and be inspired? Who's inspiring you right now? Um, in, inspire is the wrong word because I, that that would uh, uh, that would imply that you, you take ideas from them and put them into your own work. I don't get many ideas from other artists, um, but uh, there's a lot of artists out there who uh, come up with some really good ideas, and you know who are just working hard and making a living of it. I think anybody who can make a living of it for sort of any kind of period of time and still stay sane has uh, got to be has got to be good, you know. So, I mean, you know, you see, look at Tico Kerr or uh, Richard Tetro or um, my buddy Serena Haba, um, uh, you know, or the fireman David Gowman or Sharon Callis, any of these people who are able to to make a, a go of it for year after year, for decades. I mean, it's admirable. You know, I haven't managed that yet. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at them, I think, okay, well, uh, it can be done. That gives me a, an example of what, of how you can do it, you know. And that's, and that's inspirational in a general sense, you know. But the actual work itself, you know, I, I, I don't get many ideas from other people. Right. You know? You've got your... You've got your approach, you've got your way you like to work. and Well, you know, I think um, I think maybe by the time you reach middle age, you've, you've got, you're kind of set in your ways. And, uh, you know, that I don't really produce work that's any different to how it was. The photographs I take as reference images are much the same as they were 
um, but I just paint them bigger and I have a better command of palette now and uh, I know what I can make a good job of and, and how fast and then you and then you paint more of what people respond to mm-hmm. you know and that might be neon signs or boats or or whatever that is and so that pushes you towards take more to take more photographs of stuff that people respond to and it looks like you're evolving but maybe you're not maybe you're just doing doing stuff that or you find more interesting stuff that people that that, that people respond to you know it's a mm-hmm. probably a back and forward thing I know I look at your work and I enjoy it. I find for me, the pieces that resonate the most are the downtown east side mm-hmm. paintings. And, you know, here we are sitting in a pub in Gastown. You live around the corner. Mm-hmm. Your mm-hmm. studio's up the street. Mm-hmm. Is this area having a special significance in your work? Is it climbing in there? Or oh, how, sure. does it, how does it compare to when you're painting a prairie scene or a mining scene? Um, each, uh, each of this has got a different... A different connection, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the mining. You know, I've been looking at, I've been looking at head frames for for a long time. You know, so you you just draw upon that. Uh, the prairie thing, uh, you know, that's entirely new, so it's a new challenge. The downtown east side is, you know, it's it's the neighbourhood. So I'm I'm around it all the time. I mean, I moved here. We moved here uh, specifically. We moved to this part of town because it was the most interesting. Um, it has the architecture, the history. Uh, it has the urban fabric, largely unchanged from the early 20th century, which is rather rare these days within Vancouver. So it has the, the urban fabric. It has the sawtooth, arch, the sawtooth skylines, the the, um, the the sort of Edwardian mercantile architecture. Um, it has the heritage neon signage, which was taken down elsewhere in the city, but survived in the hood and it has a, a legacy of a wide range of different different histories you have uh, you have the the, the early sort of pioneer history you have uh, the chinese canadian history you have the japanese canadian history you have the black uh, history uh, around about hogan's alley and you know smaller ones like the vietnamese and korean which often started off in this neighborhood but then have gone on to, to elsewhere uh, and then, um, because of the because of the the history of uh, of poverty and challenges, you have all the modern challenges of poverty, of homelessness, of drugs, and so forth, allied with a very strong cultural base, because it's been historically cheap. That's where artists have been able to afford studio space. So you have this very eclectic mixture of people uh, in the area. For both good and ill, but it does make it more interesting. You walk around, get everything that you need to, whether it's your groceries or, you know, cinema or uh, pharmacy or whatever. And so as you're just walking around, you pick up ideas, you know, of potential new subjects, potential new collections to work from. You talked about a lot of the physical aspects and historical aspects Mm -hmm. of this area. But for me, when I look at your work, it's the people Mm -hmm. and how you are seeing them mm-hmm. and really seeing them and that it's part of your everyday life do you find a lot of are you painting people and then encountering them on the street does that change how you you, you certainly it? look around at people on your way past mm-hmm. um, i enjoy painting them very much but um most curators don't want to exhibit them no you know so it's uh they're a real hard one to 
to do and then hope that somebody's going to exhibit them. That surprises people, me. Uh, I find that some of your most moving work. People want, most public and commercial curators want landscape. And they want urban landscape. Yeah. And they want, they want urban landscape and neon signs and boats. Yeah. And I, have, I certainly have them within the repertoire. Mm-hmm. But um, most curators, they have to be persuaded to show figurative work. So, uh, and, um, and they're very hard to sell as well. Most people uh, like looking at them, but they won't buy them. I mean, uh, they might buy a picture of their kid mm-hmm. or their dog, mm-hmm. uh, but they won't buy a picture of, a of some... person of with some, pink hair. Or somebody, the, yeah. somebody, um, somebody they don't know. Yeah. Especially if it's a, if it's a, a, a portrait which is looking you in the eye. People don't like that on the wall. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's a it's the it's a byproduct of the of the medium, mm-hmm. and I think that as uh, you know as my reputation grows, and if I get into a commercial gallery, figurative work is a lot more popular at that level mm-hmm. than at the level I'm working at just now. You know, yeah. so yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd like the opportunity to work on much larger. Portrait, portrait works mm-hmm. and as time goes along that might be an opportunity mm-hmm. um, especially you know uh, as as I get better known to make a living it's urban landscape and that curators want to show and people are prepared to, to buy well I look forward to seeing where it goes from here and I would love to see a big show <laughs> full of figurative and figurals. So, That's very kind. So I'll be cheering you on from the sidelines. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so the show is called Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. I don't know if you have a punchline up your sleeve for me or... A wee punchline and um, it's probably in the spirit of um, of the working artist. A lot of people um, will say, uh, well, you know, um, he goes in every day. To, to work, right? And how, where does he get inspired? You know, how, how does he find inspiration to go there every day and paint? You know, and as I said earlier on, it's very much a, you know, it's a job and I enjoy doing it, but it's still, you know, most it's just hard work. And, and there's a, a quote which is variously attributed to Robert Gen and Chuck Close uh, out, of, uh, out of Seattle. And it goes to the, the effect that uh, inspiration is for amateurs, the rest of us just turn up and paint, you yeah. know, and that's very much how, how it is. Right on. Well, keep turning up and painting. I love seeing what you're doing. <laughs> you're always the kindest interviewer. <laughs> okay. Thanks for taking the time. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. You've been listening to Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. I'm your host artist, Carol McQuaid. For full show notes and all the links, head to twoartistswalkintoabar.com. If you liked the episode, remember to subscribe, sign up for updates, and leave us a review. And if you loved the episode, head to twoartistswalkintoabar.com and buy us our next round. Cheers.